Welcome to the Wing Life Podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. All right, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Did you ever think that you would be like flying through the air on this weird magic carpet thing, holding on to like this little pool <laughs> toy, not knowing if it's going to blow up or not? <sighs> I heard someone the other day describe it as trying to balance on a bobbing cork that is on a pogo stick while you're holding a sheet in the wind. And I thought that was hilarious because no, when I first saw winging, I can't even believe that we have a new wind sport, to be honest. I still grappling with that in my mind. But when I first saw winging, I was like, this is so stupid. (laughs) What are we, what is this? And Obviously, now I'm completely addicted and it's so much fun, but no, could not have seen this coming. Yeah, my the first time I, I took it out, I was on a lake on Vancouver. And my brother's like, I'm not even touching that. Like I'm kiting. I don't know what that thing is and I'm not going near it. But I think all of us have fallen in love with the different aspects of what it's brought to our lives. But um, kind of completely took us actually by surprise as well. Um but for a lot of our guests at home who might not know you, um, can we go a little bit into the history of who you are and, and kind of how you found water sports? Mm. My name is Sensi Graves. I am a multi-passionate entrepreneur. I'm a professional kite porter and now wing foiler as well. There we go. I'm the founder of a sustainable swimwear company. I'm an inspirational speaker and mentor, and I put on women's kite camps and wing camps and retreats. And I first came across water sports. I've always wanted to be a surfer girl. I grew up in Northern California in a really rural area, not a lot of access to water, but we did wakeboard growing up. I also grew up snowboarding. I've always been into board sports and have always been really athletic and competitive. I have three brothers and we were always playing two on two everything and just, you know, beating each other up. It was really about beating the boys, not just keeping up with the boys. And so I moved to San Diego to, for college. Once again, I wanted to be a surfer girl. I wanted to be in the water and I surfed a little bit in college, but didn't really got distracted by other things. Didn't really put in the time necessary surfing. I still say is the hardest sport, um, but learned to kite while I was in college and on, on a total whim and it has completely changed the trajectory of my life but fell in love with the sport, moved to North Carolina, started teaching kiting, started my swimmer company, became a pro kite boarder. And then, you know, a decade later, winging is introduced and here we are (laughs) always learning something new. (laughs) Pretty much. And always finding new ways to kind of fall and flip and whatever, but let's, let's unpack that a little bit for when you kind of college moved to North Carolina there was a job offer on the table from real water sports in North Carolina. They were looking for kite coaches. I honestly think that they were talking more to my brothers than to, to me. They, okay. we were on a trip with them in the BVIs that they used to put on, um, you know, amazing Catabran kite trip. I was barely staying up wind at that time. And they were like, yeah, we're looking for, for coaches for the summer coaches try as in March. Do you guys want to come out? And I was like, yeah sign me up for that. So I actually drug my older brother along and was like, let's do it. <laughs> he was at UC Santa Barbara. I was at UC San Diego. And I was like, this sounds like an awesome summer job. Let's go for it. And so we went to coaches 
training. They already had knew who we were. Um, but we did the coaches training past. And then in June, I moved out to North Carolina with my older brother and spent the summer coaching. And it was, you know, complete dive into kiting because that's Mm -hmm. all we did. We were on the water all day, every day, whether that was teaching people or kiting ourselves, you know, the, the climate out there is all about riding. And it was this hotbed for park riding at that time. And that meant that I started soon thereafter hitting rails and a couple years later competing in rail riding and kiting. And so it was a full like head over heels kind of, Oh my gosh, this sport's amazing. Um, -hmm. but it wasn't a straight path to, yeah, I want to be a pro kiteboarder. It was more, this is an awesome lifestyle. I love being outside. I love this community and I'm going to coach. Why would I not do that? Okay. What were you taking in college at the time or before you moved out? Communications. I got my degree in communication and I honestly went to the wrong college. I, when I first, and this is, this whole roundabout thing here, Luke, but I do not believe that anybody should have to know what they want to do right after high school. You know, we put college on the table for a lot of people, but you have to explore who you are and what lights you up. Because when Mm. I graduated college or excuse me, when I graduated high school and applied to college on my application, I was like, what do you, you know, what major do you want to declare? I put aeronautical engineering. Whoa. What? (laughs) No. Then I got to college, you know, gained a little bit of experience and was like, um, no, actually I I'm way more social. I'm actually not into math as much as I thought this does not align. And so I, turns out I kind of went to the wrong school because the UC San Diego is very science heavy and, uh, okay. They have great aeronautical engineering program, but it was not honestly um, totally in line with what I was meant to do. Well, no, I think kind of like I come from a heavy rehab background. I was in a near fatal motorcycle accident in 2009. And then to rehab from something that intense and that severe, what I kind of looked at is you have an A point and you have a B point. And you kind of sometimes you aim yourself towards that B point. And then if you can solidify that B point, sometimes life will take you on this kind of fairly cool journey to get you towards there. Um, So I guess just going there for you, moving there to North Carolina and then putting yourself in that environment, because what we're interested in, I think a lot of people who are interested in who are taking on these sports is like, A, how did people get there? Like, Mm -hmm. yes, they're skilled athletes. Yes, they, they were able to do certain things that other people might not have that skill level for. But A, did you put yourself in that environment? Like what came into your life that was like, hey, I'm going to kind of shift here and I'm going to go towards this kind of thing. So for yourself, you're saying that move there, started teaching, and then those opportunities kind of opened up for you. Mm -hmm. And I I like what you said there, which is you put yourself in that environment. And I think Mm -hmm. that is the, the takeaway from not knowing what to do in college is you just have to try things. And to try things, you need to put yourself in different environments. And that's why travel is so great and learning something new is so great. And that's why we get so addicted to something like winging. That is this new challenge because it pushes ourselves out of our comfort zones, but it's putting our person in that environment that enables that possibility to even happen because we don't even know what's possible until we see it and experience it. Right. I'd never Mm -hmm. seen kiting before I learned I was like, what is this sport we're doing? And then it 
completely changes my entire life. And so I love that. Just putting yourself into the experience, pulling on the thread of, oh, am I interested in this at all? Let me dive right in and see what it, what, um, it uncovers for me. That way I can learn about myself, what I like and who knows where it's going to take you. Mm-hmm. No, that's what I found that a lot of our, our guests have talked about. Like there's one of our pro riders from Brazil. He said he didn't have the money to buy a surfboard right away, but life found a way that he ended up working in a surfboard factory, got a surfboard from there, worked up from there. So I was kind of curious as well um, to see what your perspective was on that. Now, getting yourself your first sponsors, anything, can we talk a little bit maybe about that? Like, was that something that came naturally? Was that something that you had to work towards? Um, how was that process? Yeah, no, I haven't been asked that question in a long time. So great okay. question. <laughs> I have to think about it. It's interesting because I didn't, I said this before, I didn't actually set out to be a pro kite boarder. I, mm-hmm. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And so okay. when I first got sponsored, it, it was, of course it was hard work. I don't want to detract from my own personal motivation and hard work. But it was also being in the right place at the right time and seeing an opportunity and and kind of having to push myself into doing it because I was I had met my my now husband Brandon Shide out there in North Carolina. We had been dating. We were traveling around the world chasing kiting. Okay. Uh, you know, I was continuing on this path of, oh, this is fun. Okay, yeah, let's keep doing it. I'm diving right in. He was a sponsored writer at that time. He was competing at that time. I was like, man, I have, I don't want anything to do with that. I didn't feel good enough. You know, I had just learned to kite a, a few years prior and I didn't feel like there was, I was like, there's no way I can compete in this. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not good enough. And so it took me a while to have the personal confidence to say, okay, I can put myself out there. It took people around me saying, Hey, you should do this to put myself okay. out there because I was one of the few women that was actually hitting sliders at that time, you know, park riding and kiting yep. that they were like, you got to compete. You're one of a few people that are actually doing this. We need you representing for the women. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm just doing this for fun. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't want to do this. <laughs> um, but then, you know, once I think I, I didn't get sponsored until after my first competition I'm pretty sure and it was triple s in 2012 was my first kite competition and I got in through a wildcard video you know we had spent the the previous winter in Brazil kind of learning how to do rally to blinds and back to blinds and front to blinds so you first kind of basic tricks and yep. had progressed enough that I was like okay well I can I feel okay that I can put myself out you know meanwhile everyone's telling me do it do it do it and I'm still kind of like, no, I'm, I'm trying to start a swimwear company. I don't, I don't, who, what? I'm not trying to be a pro kite boarder. Yeah, uh, and yeah. then got in on a wild card in triple S and competed. And after that, I said, okay, well, there's an opportunity to compete. I, I can't remember what place I got. I think I did well. I honestly have no idea. I can't remember, <laughs> um, but said, okay, if I'm going to do this, I, I need support. I want support. And it was, yeah. it was kind of a a dichotomy of both wanting to put myself out there, but still not believing in myself enough to kind of ask for what I needed. And so I approached the, the company liquid force that Brandon was sponsored by and said, Hey, I I want to, uh, 
I want to compete. What, what can you do for me? I actually said, this is actually what happened, Luke. I said, I'll do your social media in exchange for, for gear because I didn't feel good enough to, you know, ask for what, what I actually needed and perhaps what I was worth. And so I actually started working with Liquiforce doing their social media in exchange Hmm. for, for gear. And so that was a, it was a slow evolution of, oh yeah, asking for a little bit more, asking for a little more sport, a little more sport, a little more support. And, um, meanwhile, still competing and building up my name, both in the swimwear world and in the competition world. That was Fair a long enough. story. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I appreciate the the kind of in-depth kind of look at it. Because obviously, just getting into pro, like you still had to have a regular job, like you're still making money elsewhere, obviously. And kind of because if you're just getting gear, you still have to pay for your your trips and pay for everything around to compete, correct? Oh, yeah. And I waitressed yeah. for a long time. You know, I, okay. I, the first four years, I, I coached kiting for the first four years of after I graduated college and then was starting my swimmer business on the side, which really was not making any money and was waitressing as well. And then when we moved to the river, actually in 2012, so right after my first competition, I waitressed for another six years after that. Hmm. And so it was really a, and even when I started getting paid as a kiter, I still needed to, and I still wanted to make more money because, you know, mm-hmm. We, I was getting paid peanuts and I'm like, I need to, I need to fund this. And I want to feel confident in the amount of money I'm making. I don't want to be living paycheck to paycheck. I'm going to Mm -hmm. hustle. Um, I was embarrassed about that for a long time, to be honest, because Mm. I was like, I feel like I should be making more money as both a professional athlete and as someone that owns their own business. And I, I feel like I shouldn't have to, um, have a side hustle in order to make my dreams work. But the reality was I was choosing to do that. And I was choosing to make enough money to fund what both, both of my dreams. And so I don't think there's any thing wrong with having what Marie Forleo calls a bridge job, a way mm-hmm. to actually make your dreams happen. And, you know, I'm proud of myself for working hard doing that, but yeah, I hustled for a long time. Yeah. No, I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, like I'm an entrepreneur, Tom is in his own right as well. And, and we have this goal and this dream of what we'd like to do, but to get there, you're doing kind of whatever it is that comes in front of you to help you kind of achieve that. Like, how did you even enter into the swim world space? Was that something you knew? Was that something that came on? Like, how, how did you kind of find that? I had no idea. <laughs> it's really funny looking back because one of my superpowers is starting things. I'm really yeah. good at having a vision and igniting it into the world. And that's an acknowledgement of, of little me. You know, I was 23 years old when I first launched Sensi Swim and I did not know anything, but it was that naivete that allowed me to even put myself out there because I didn't know what I didn't know. And the only way to get started is that one step of it at a time. And so mm-hmm. I was like, all right, I want to do this thing. It was because I was in the water every single day and in a swimsuit every single day. And I okay. knew that I, I have always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew that I wanted to own my own business. And I had this idea. I said, okay, I want something that actually stays put. I'm really tired of the swimwear. 
there really was nothing on the market at that time that was geared towards active women. That wasn't Speedo. That wasn't Patagonia. That was something that was more fashion forward. And that made me feel empowered. All of the marketing of the swimmer at that time was girl laying on the beach. We've come a long mm-hmm. way since then. We're still not the full way, but it was all just sexism and not showing women actually doing anything. And so not only did I want a product that worked, but I wanted something that really showed women doing things and something that I actually could identify with. So I took this idea and I totally ran with it. And I said, okay, other women feel the same way and I'm going to do it. And I remember as soon as I voiced those words, because once again, I wasn't trying to be a pro kiteboarder in the beginning. I was like, I'm starting a company. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I said, I'm going to do it, I was like, oh crap, now I have to do it. And I remember telling people, about it and being like, all right, well, now I got to make it happen. (laughs) I just told people I was going to do this thing. And actually, I remember a few years into the business, one of my friends, Julian Fillion, um, former kite designer at Liquivorce, now works for Ride Engine. He was like, wow, Sensi, you said you were going to do it and you actually did it. And I was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. that's just my, you know, that's my superpower. My superpower is being able to say, let's, let me imagine this thing. And if I say I'm going to do something, typically I do it. And, um, yeah, it was really seeing the need and taking it one step at a time. It's very nice to see athletes take charge, solve some problems, and then do that with like a woman focused company. It's pretty awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. It's been a journey. (laughs) No, absolutely. So you started your company. It's starting to grow. Did you know anything about, sorry, like how did you learn about all the different aspects of entrepreneurism? Because there's sourcing your product, building a team, like design, there's social, there's all that aspect of stuff. Like I've been following your channel for a while just to see how how did you build that? How do you continue to grow? I find it fascinating. So I would follow a bunch mm-hmm. of different channels just to see how they put their true selves. Because I'm finding there's a big push towards authenticity on socials a little bit, especially for business owners. Um, so curious to hear your take on all that. Mm. I've always had the strength of input, sometimes to my detriment, you know, not taking ownership of the decisions I need to make. But I asked a lot of questions. I read a ton. I'm a voracious reader. And so I dove into books, but I think more importantly, I asked people that had done it and I reached out to my network and I had a few mentors in the beginning that had started their own companies, two women, female founders, and they gave me their insights, helped me write business, my first business plan. Um, One woman, Terry Peck, she gave me her fashion books because she had a shoe company. So she said, here you go. Here are all of my like from fashion school books. And so I really was open to questions and asking questions and really just saying, okay, I know I don't know anything. Um, but there was that whole little part of me that really didn't believe in myself that we talk about, but Mm -hmm. I just tried to get as much information as I could from those people around me and those people that I saw doing what I wanted to do. And so I completely dove into research and I continue to do that to this day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's important. Finding out now, do you look at competitors as well and kind of R&D through kind of that whole approach? Obviously, as as an entrepreneur, you kind of, kind of have to, but how are you coming up with your unique new ideas? You're always coming up with beautiful new designs, new materials, kind of pushing that same as winging is pushing different materials. 
how um, you have your, like a little department that helps you do that? Or are you kind of spearheading that? Yeah, I actually have a partner. This episode is brought to you by Saladita Kite School in La Ventana, Mexico. If you caught some of our uh, stories yesterday on Instagram, you'll have seen that. I just got in a couple epic days of downwinding. We got a 10 kilometer downwinder done with my buddy Mickey from Salt Spring Island. Today, I got in an epic one with my friend Britt. Um, we went from Latuna all the way to the beach and back. Um, heck of a fun time. If you're looking to learn, there's nothing better than getting a lesson from the pros at Saladita Kite School. They are positioned at Latuna, and now that I've been here a little while, I've gotten the opportunity to visit to a couple different spots. It is one of the more beginner-friendly beaches with some nice sand so you're not walking on any rocks. Um, They do offer professional jet ski-assisted kite and wing foil lessons. Um, so once again, they're at Latuna. So if you want to grab a beer after, grab some ice cream, grab anything, it is a nice little hub there. So you're not just stuck kind of in the middle of nowhere. So they have you covered if you want to learn how to kite, foil, or looking into downwinding. They got top quality gear as well. Uh, so don't hesitate. Book your lessons today by visiting saladitalaventana.com or send them a message on Instagram at Saladita Kite School at Saladita kite school that has taken over the design she's a wealth of knowledge and design background um did 20 years at nike and so she has come in to do the product development more so i mean i come up with the ideas it's all based on what i need and what i see other women need and and really our focus is on not just making more product but what is the purpose of this product because there's so much swimwear there's so many products out there we're really not wanting to just promote buy this thing, buy this thing. It's more the mission of the brand and more creating this collective of women and this sisterhood that is impactful and that's sharing stories. So we first look at, okay, what do we actually need? And and can this serve a variety of purposes? Can this be okay. more versatile? And what's the what's the why behind making the product? So not just mm-hmm. pushing new product, but it's certainly a balance because we're a brand that we need people to buy product from. And so that's been honestly, in personally, my biggest journey around, well, I don't even buy a lot of stuff. How can I ask our customers to buy a lot of stuff? And so it's coming up with how can we do this the right way? How can we be a leader for other brands to follow? I've looked a lot to Patagonia and Yvonne Chouinard mm-hmm. and his journey mm-hmm. and how much impact in consumer awareness and consumer behavior he's been able to have. And so we model as much of that as possible. But also I think it's important to find out and figure out the core of why you want to do something and work backwards from there, because it's really easy to get distracted by what other people are doing. And I think it's important to look to the market, but also why am I in business? What is the message I want to promote and how do I stay motivated to keep doing that. That is more important. Totally. So in short, what, what is that for Sensi Swim? Mm, That's empowering women in water sports and sharing other women's stories to expand the idea of what's possible for women and create more equity and equality in water sports. Um, We still have not as much media representation, not as much pay, still not equal prize money and still a lot of 
disparity between female and male athlete representation. And so for me, it's about building a platform that can share the stories of other female athletes and create and spread the confidence that I believe is required to go out into the world and share the unique, amazing, awesome humanness that each of us has. Totally. Totally. And I, I think it's, um, it's always, you know, every time you look at, if you look at the professional windsurfing tour or anything like that, you look at the women that are at a really, really high level and you just see that the support they're getting is so much less than the men that are, you know, at an equivalent high level for their, for their category. And it was really obvious when Amandine was kind of pushing a little bit in, in windsurfing, competitive windsurfing, and you could really see how, you know, women like Sarah Hauser and all the other, you know, big names that she was sailing with, they just get so much less support than other than men that are, you know, comparatively not as good. And yeah, so, it's really, sorry, cut you off, cut you off Tom. No, it's no, really go crazy. ahead, go ahead. Um, and it's always, you know, it always comes down to a numbers argument that we hear that, oh, there's not as many women competing. And certainly in a lot of spheres, there are way fewer women, but I believe that it needs to be a reverse approach, meaning the women, we can't get the women unless they see that they're going to be supported. You know, it takes a lot of money Mm -hmm. to compete on any sort of tour. You have to travel around all the time. It's like quite a, quite a sacrifice, both monetarily and in the time required to make an impact on your sport. And so I think we need to have a bottom-up approach, meaning we're not going to see the numbers until we say, oh, yeah, I'm going to support this woman just as much as I support this guy, whether or not there are 20 men in the field, which is four women or or what have you. So I, I think that's always the excuse we see. There's not as many numbers of women, but I think that it, we won't see the numbers until we put some money behind some of these athletes. Totally. I mean, it's, it's kind of the internal circle, right? If there's less support for women, then of course there's going to be less women. And then if there's less women, well, now there's less support for women. So if you don't Mm -hmm. break that cycle, it's not going to break itself. Absolutely. And I think that you're right that um, equality is not really what we're looking for. It's more equity that is, should be given because if you're looking at just equality, it doesn't really make sense in this case, because how many, families are pushing their young girls to go out and do adventure sports, you know, more and more these days. Absolutely. But mm. not nearly as much as, as young men, unfortunately. So I think it's so important to have women that are doing exactly what you're doing that are pro athletes and are kind of leaders in, in their market, in their uh, not market, but in industry um, kind of giving examples, as you said, if you don't see somebody doing what you're, somebody that looks like you doing what you'd like to do, it's a lot harder to do it. It's not impossible, but it's a lot harder. Yeah. And then especially with the number of women that we're seeing in winging, there are Mm -hmm. way more women that are actually buying the gear. And so I put on women's kite camps and retreats and wing camps and retreats. And these women have money, they're buying product. And when they don't see women represented on brands, they don't want to support that brand. They want to have, they want to put, put their money where there's going to be impact. And so I think there's a real opportunity for brands to show more support to women and, and get those customers. And that doesn't mean just making, you know, the whole shrink it and pink it thing, but it, 
it means actually saying what <laughs> what are the products do we need women specific wing products what are those products and um how can we take feedback from the market and really either just just in the marketing show more women like in general but have more feedback from women into the products totally i think that's a really central issue and you know i i sold gear in a number of different outdoor domains for quite a while and it always comes back to the same thing when you have a lady that's performing at a high level there's just no gear that's made for her and it's just mm-hmm. you know it, whether it's you know kayaking or skiing or whatever it is winging it's it's just there's no female specific gear and in some cases you need it in some cases fair enough you don't but if there was more women developing gear more women implicated in the design process would see more women you know specific gear and i think that's why it's so important that you're designing gear for women because we need more women designing gear for women <laughs> yeah and i will say my husband is the um lead tester at slingshot and so they do ask okay. for my feedback and i am testing gear for a nice. slingshot, but it's inter- and ride engine as well. But it's interesting because I, to be honest, I am not a passionate gear tester. I like to ride, and I'm I can say yes, this is good. This yes, this is not good. My skill set is not. This is the, what you need to tweak to make this completely better for women. Um, so it's interesting because I'm like I don't even yeah I want to ride the new gear and I'll give you tell you if I like it or not, but I don't want to be involved in the product testing. <laughs> To a certain extent, you know, like I don't want to spend hours. It yeah. takes hours to really understand how a product is working and to really get the nuances of what makes a product great or not. And um, that is not my strength. So it's it's been funny because I like to give my feedback and they ask for it. And at the same time, I'm like, nah, I just want to go ride a fun and have fun. <laughs> I don't want to ride <laughs> nice. a product because it sucks. <laughs> No, that's totally. true. I mean, that's totally understandable. Everybody's got their strengths, right? And what yeah. talks to them. You definitely need to nerd out quite a bit on the gear to, yeah. to get to the oh point where you can give Can we just talk about foils for one minute? Holy sure. Toledo. I give yeah. these, you know, little kind of intro to foil talks for our, our camps because you need to know what's going on. And there are so many foils on the market that even I have a hard time diving into the nuances of, I have to study. I'm like, okay, and let me see what's new. What do we got going on? There are so many, you can tech out forever. Yeah. Yeah. There's, we have Luke and I are on this chat um, that basically is dedicated to just geeking out on gear and it's just, it never ends. There's always something new. There's always something people are talking about. It's, it's nuts. Have you heard about people shaving down the logos off of their masks? for yes. to go faster yeah to go faster yeah i mean uh, that makes sense um, it makes I've sense, also... but i don't know if it actually works because i was just with a um a boat captain and he is a glider pilot and a glider plane pilot which works exactly like a foil does and he was like yeah that doesn't work at all that's not gonna help and i was like oh people are doing it that's interesting what what was his reasoning for that do you know he didn't think that it was um big enough to make a difference like thick enough he said if there was a part that was peeling off but the logo was so thin that he didn't he said that would not make a difference at all that's that's interesting because i've definitely um i think it depends on the foil like if you're on a really high aspect really fast foil because they're so thin and their sections 
are so thin, I think it actually does make a difference. I know that on, you know, most beginner and intermediate uh, winging foils and, and more surfy kind of foils are so thick that, you know, even if you have a big scratch in the bottom, it doesn't really matter. But like mm -hmm. the kite foil racers, I know they just go nuts. Mm. Like you, you can't touch anything. They don't want you touching their foils with sunscreen. It's like a whole yeah. sort of voodoo going on there. Yeah. <laughs> But that would be, yeah, that's like the, the, I guess, the top elite kind of percentile. But for the most part, as people are getting into the sport, it takes you such a long time just to be able to, A, figure it out, B, C, how do I get this to do this? How do I get this to do that? And then to take it to that even testing level, as you're saying, like that takes quite a bit of commitment, quite a bit of figuring out. So I don't know, for our average market, if we have like 20% of our listeners are women, it was, it's nice to know because I have one female friend who's a very good kiter was thinking about starting teachings, thinking about doing lessons and stuff. And for her, she loves riding with us because she's, she has a hard time finding women, her caliber, mm -hmm. trying to get out there and then try to do it in a safe environment, enjoyable environment. So talking about all this stuff um, is great. Um, mm -hmm. I do really appreciate a lot of that and kind of where I was, curious about going was how did then you take all of this kind of knowledge that you have in the company building and then take that into your public speaking mm. um how did you see because in public speaking I, I see it almost as i've done a few things and now i'd like to help kind of spread that message a little bit kind of help grow that a bit mm. that is definitely part of the impetus for starting to speak the other, well, so one, one component was coming to this realization of I hadn't felt proud of myself in the decade of competing as a pro kiteboarder and starting this swim brand um, until honestly 2019, you know, I had, I'll, I'll tell you the story I was at, um, it was at the end of 2019 and because we're going into 2020 and it's a decade, new decade, I'm in all these, you know, accountability groups and coaching programs. And I, one of my, um, coaches had suggested doing a decade in review where you look back at everything you'd accomplished in the past 10 years. And so I pulled out all my notes, all my social media, went through everything and wrote down everything I had done everywhere. I had traveled everything that I was proud of all my wins, all these things. And then I remember I was in this group of a couple other women and we were doing this deep dive into the past 10 years, it was like a year in review thing, but for a decade. And I had all of the papers spread out in front of me. And the leader of the group was asking some poignant questions. And I just remember feeling this complete bubbling up of almost like overwhelm, but a little bit of like anxiety and just burst out crying and felt this stab mm -hmm. in my heart and had to excuse myself and go out and ball for 20 minutes because I realized that I was proud of myself for the first time and that I had mm -hmm. never let myself feel that way. And I had mm -hmm. done all of this stuff and was looking at the past decade and was like, wow, I'm actually really proud of who I am and the woman I've become and all of these things I've done. And it was overwhelming and anxiety inducing because I felt so bad for poor little me that had not 
let herself feel proud of herself. And she was working so hard to prove to whomever that she was worthy of whatever. And I was the only one that could give that to myself. I was the only one that could mm -hmm. feel proud of who I was. And still to this day, you're the only one that can feel proud of yourself. And so that was kind of the capstone of this decade of uncovering and learning about myself and growth and learning. And I was like, I want to, to the service piece, share this with other people. I really believe that when we don't feel worthy in who we are and what we're doing, we hold ourselves back in so many ways. And that it's only when we can learn to love ourselves that we can actually have impact on the world. Because when you mm -hmm. feel good about yourself, you really go out and spread awesomeness, right? You can shine your light. And each one of us is so unique. You know, I get up on my soapbox because <laughs> I'm like, let's go. <laughs> you know, I get so excited about this. <laughs> um, that is, you know, that's, that's kind of the origin story of, I was like, wow, I, okay, well, I've learned a lot. And it was mm -hmm. the culmination of um, a decade of uncovering and of course, business learnings and knowing that I wanted to share this. And then the other component, to be honest, was COVID. In COVID, oh. I was like, ah, is anyone going to buy swimsuits? You know, at the beginning, I was like, oh no, what's going to happen? I better start another business. <laughs> and so I said, I have all this knowledge that I want to share and teach. What does that look like? I want to start teaching in that way. I've always loved teaching, um, but mm -hmm. I want to start mentoring other people on, on business and confidence. And so I launched my mentoring business, which involved speaking. And so the the third business that I run is um, inspirational speaking and confidence mentoring. And I love it. I love it. Okay. And then that's a lot there. No, it's nice. That's a, that's an awesome story of how you were able to kind of have that moment that allowed that kind of spark to open up and then to realize because those are times I think, and it's kind of like an impetus is, do I look at this or do I let this go? And then if I look at it and I spend some time in that moment, like, where is that going to take me? And we never know, but mm. it's nice to see that because sometimes an entrepreneur and even for myself, like, I'm not sure whether the grind and the drive and, and, and that stuff is pushing you forward because you just have to because there has to be something that keeps that. That's why we talked about our why before. And especially for anybody getting any, any sport, like what is that why? Because when times get hard, that why will help kind of keep that little pilot light kind of going. So no, thanks a lot for sharing that. Um, I was super curious as to how that kind of came to be. Yeah, I, I love what you said there, um, which is, things are going to get hard and our why will keep us going because there's a great Tom Bill you quote that goes, the struggle is guaranteed success is not. And mm -hmm. when you can grasp that and say, okay, yep, this is going to be hard. Like being a human is hard. You know, we haven't even got, I've, I've gone through, everyone's gone through trauma. Um, no one's trauma is, is harder than any others. I've gone through a lot of trauma in my life and I know how hard being a human is. And so I, mm -hmm. I want to, um, and we know entrepreneurship is really hard. And so how can we just say, okay, yeah, this is going to be hard, but what can I learn from this? What growth am I going to experience from this? What uncovering is going to happen? And then how can that then influence me moving forward? And that goes back to why am I doing this in the first place? Because if it gets mm -hmm. too hard and you don't have a strong why, you're going to quit. 
oh yeah, you'll quit. Something will happen. You'll get, because I was even talking to a friend the other day. It's like, we get, sometimes we just get stuck in certain things. It'll be a tiny little thing, but it can consume two, three, four years of your life. And in that time period, you could have been doing X, Y, Z and pushing this forward. So I'm always kind of curious of having those deep kind of introspective talks sometimes, because I think we have to go below that surface level. If we are as entrepreneurs ever going to help our project, our passion grow, because it's so much more than just the final aspect of things. It's everything from just getting up, which I think is pretty cool. But what I was curious about, we watched, I was at China Creek was two years ago teaching with Paul and Alicia at Windrider. And we watched your Hollywood debut. <laughs> 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 and we can chat about that a bit. That was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is hilarious. Yeah, I was in the movie Send It, the first, I think it's the first skateboarding movie, like proper so. Hollywood skateboarding so. <laughs> movie. That was an experience. Yeah, that was... We filmed that in, in 2018, I think. And I was one lucky kiteboarder that got to be involved with this production that um, the, the the founder of Wind Voyager um, had put money into, wanted to create this kiteboarding film. He wrote the script and he had put money up for S for the previous few years and had approached real and you know pitched this whole project and i think there were i don't know 10 of us 10 pro kiteboarders that got to be involved i played myself <laughs> you you see my big walking scene <laughs> oh yeah uh, it was it was really interesting it was really interesting it was a phenomenal experience i think we all kind of learned how long and arduous movie making actually is it takes a long time we were on set for a long time every single day but it was crazy I'm I'm proud of being in that movie. Um, I don't think it had as much reach as the producer and director and everyone wanted it to have. Um, I think a lot of things could have been improved on. But wow, the fact that someone actually wanted to do that in kiteboarding, I think is really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, it was awesome. Um, yeah, we we I think, well, because all of us instructors kind of sat up top and had some beers and watched that. And it was the first time we had seen something. And then we got to watch some of our favorite athletes up on there so i don't know it's pretty it was it was a pretty cool experience to watch and then the next day we power up our jet skis and we're like <laughs> i'm glad you enjoyed it <laughs> yeah every once in a while someone mentions it to me and i'm just like oh it's so funny oh yeah <laughs> pretty cool experience i'm very thankful for it yeah no i don't doubt um we ask everybody this but like how was your first foil kind of ride with bucking bronco did you like what did you ever like I, yeah what did that feel like i remember it being super hard you know we like to say if you're not cursing at the wing you're not winging in the beginning when you're learning yeah. to wing if you're not cursing at the wing you're not winging because the first time i tried it was when it debuted at awsi here in hood river i think that was four years ago now four summers ago when it was like, oh, winging, okay, it's here. And yeah, 2019. 2019? I think so. Okay, yeah. And that um, that AWSI was like, well, I better try this thing. First first thought was, wow, this is so stupid. 
Second thought was, <laughs> oh, this is really hard. Still thought it was stupid. <laughs> and did three unintentional downwinders when I couldn't get up on foil at all. And I foil a lot on the kite, right? Um, and th that's why, you know, I, I kind of think winging is harder than we uh, first thought it was. But yeah, I just remember completely Bucky and Bronco just being like, what are we doing? This is so stupid and uh, being really difficult. <laughs> so if you're learning, if you're out there learning, it is hard. Take your time, take breaks. I think that's a cool thing about winging. You can get off the board and take breaks um, and keep going. Mm -hmm. You're going to get it. You will get it. But it is difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the coolest mm -hmm. experiences, Tom and I sail in the Great Lakes of Lake Ontario. And I was in four or five foot swell or something in the center, sat there, put the wing down and then straddle your board like a surfer. I always wanted to be a surfer, but surfing is a lot of work. <laughs> and it's like five seconds of surf. And now you can surf for minutes. And it was just, I don't know, it hit me because it had been like so many years of practice, right? For all of us to get even to the point of being able to ride like this. And then you're sitting there in this stuff and it's just... I find winging allows us to kind of sightsee. It, it brings in that kind of almost meditative space. It can be into this sport because kiting, windsurfing, like when you windsurf, you're blasting, you're feeling absolutely every single bump. You're going off these little kickers, but for winging, it can be that, but it can be this completely other aspect of things where you can use it on a sup. You can sit out there in the swell. You can just surf. Like it's crazy how much that sport kind of opened up all these different aspects and for me helped me enjoy and to kind of respect all the stuff that we had done just to even get there mm, yeah I love that and also the access you know the yes. the new places that you can go because you don't have to have a huge beach to run your lines or a ton of space to to launch and you don't even have to have as clean a wind I don't know if you feel this same way I'm sure you do oh, but totally yeah Right? The gusts don't matter nearly as much on the wing. No, the and, and especially the lulls don't matter as much. Like mm -hmm. for coming out of, uh, when you're kiting, you feel the lulls maybe a little bit less because you can kind of fly the kite a little harder. But windsurfing, if you have a big lull, you're just dead. Like there's nothing you can do. You just stop. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second you introduce the foil into the equation, it's so much easier to keep going. But I find that with winging, because you're you have the wing in your hands and you can pump it, and because the material is so light and just fills with so little air, even if there's basically no wing, you can still keep going, you can still keep pumping. Whereas kite foiling or wind foiling, I don't feel like you can do that quite as well. Yeah, you don't get jerked around nearly as much on the wing. You know, sometimes here in Hood River, it's gusty and super up and down. And I just remember having a few sessions out on the water. You're just like, I, I have to go in. I'm just getting, you know, ugh, yanked. And then with the wing, it's world-class winging here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's incredible. We, for those who haven't, like for those at home who are brand new to wind sports, can we talk about your, your kind of your home site now? Because it is world-class. Oh, yeah. Hood River, if you haven't heard of it, is in Oregon. It's on the Columbia River Gorge, and it's right on the Columbia River, which is part of the Columbia River Gorge, this massive gorge that runs through Washington and Oregon, divides the two states. Um, it's a massive river, so we're kiting and winging on this massive river. The interesting thing is that the swell 
is on the water, the wind is going one direction, but the current is actually going the other direction. Um, so in the springtime, last spring, we had a ton of current in the river. And so you were kind of doing up, if you would stop and sit down in the water, you'd be going up river or down river, excuse me. So we have a number of different um, obstacles that make kiting and winging here a little bit more advanced. We have barges that come through. We have a lot of river current. It's really crowded in the summer. But that being said, we have wind almost every single day. And if you're able to time it right and watch the graph, you can get really good conditions. And it's my favorite place. I wake up every day and say, I love where I live. I'm so grateful. <laughs> it's a cool spot. And I mean, there's so many people there riding and there's a few that just have the, the weather so dialed. Like if you know who to listen to, you're always at the right spot, always at the right time. And it's it just goes off every day, every day, every day. It's crazy. I'm lucky in that that person is my husband. Like he is, you know, he's checking <laughs> 10 apps. <laughs> awesome. And so he's our, uh, he, he makes our schedule. <laughs> so I'm just like, tell me where to go. <laughs> you just say I'll schedule. That's awesome. <laughs> we each have our straights, right? <laughs> yeah. No, Ain't nobody got time to to triangulate the forecast <laughs> but he doesn't yeah. awesome. absolutely and you got obviously nice swell like what's the variety in swell size that you can get based on current or based on both actually factors current and wind obviously but yeah so at once a couple of days of wind come through and we have some big days in a row the swell will build up even more um, and so we have, I mean, it can get huge, you know, rolling at the biggest like car size river swell that comes through. Obviously it's not breaking waves, but for winging, it's mm -hmm. perfect. And there's a, a number oh. of different locations that we have where the swell, um, there's a spot called the hatchery, there's a spot called Doug's Arlington, Mary Hill, where the swell can really ramp up. And on the big, big windy days, um, you'll see a lot of people chasing it to those locations and just do an endless lap. So it's like our own private little wave pool. And I, I love that they're, it's, they're not breaking waves because then you're not even dealing mm -hmm. with getting out through the whitewater. Yeah. Just stay away yeah. from the boats and then you're fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the yeah, other people totally. now, you know, with yeah. windsurfers and kiters and all of the watercrafts, we also have downwind sup paddlers and, um, kayakers you know there's there's lots of watercraft in the river you have to watch out for so that's i'm anticipating to be more and more of an issue as the years go on mm -hmm. yeah especially with winging i know um when we were just starting to wing back home on like ontario we, we noticed really fast that the just kind of like the the train you know that you get on you get on a wave you pop back out get on a wave pop back out the train that we would do winging was completely different than windsurfing and completely different than kiting and if you weren't you know if you didn't come from kiting or windsurfing or both then you didn't know how to avoid the kiters and windsurfers around you and, and a lot of the wings out there today don't have windows so you can't really see what's going on around you so how do you deal with that in hood river because it is really crowded yeah, I just recommend people keep their head on a swivel and don't go when there are clear spots where a lot of windsurfers are hanging out. I just try and avoid those areas, to be honest. I didn't windsurf ever. And so one of the most terrifying sounds in the world to me is when you put up, you know, the windsurfer behind you, you're like, ah, because they come in really fast and oh, yeah. they will take you out. And so I always just think, 
obviously always look before you turn, be mindful of the riding circles, be courteous of other people, be nice. I think that's, you know, the, <laughs> the mm -hmm. golden rule. Don't treat others as you wouldn't treat. What's the golden rule? <laughs> treat others yeah. as you want to be treated. <laughs> that's it. Totally. Um, yeah. But really definitely looking. I see Your a lot of people don't look the before they turn. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. spot checking, bringing your wing up over kind of yeah. thing, looking, bringing it back down. And I don't know how okay. you guys feel about windows. I honestly do not think they're helpful. Um, I never hmm. can see through them very well. well. It's always, yeah, I think just yeah. looking, pulling the wing up is way easier to me. Interested to hear I have, your thoughts. I have mixed feelings on them. I feel like I was riding windowed wings for a while and thought that they were completely useless. And now I'm riding wings without windows and I feel like I miss them. And it's, hmm. it's, it's, uh, yeah, especially now that I'm riding in a lot of spots where there's boat traffic. And they just have no idea what you're doing, like uh, even less so than other one sport users. They just, you know, motorboats just zooming by. And I would be really happy to be able to, you know, cruise along and look downwind and just get a little bit more vision. But yeah. at the same time, it's a problem, right? Because when you're folding your wings, they crack. And if you want to ride yeah. in the snow or on ice, then that's a, it's an issue. It's uh, it's definitely a problem. They need We need to find a better window material, I think. Hmm. I'll tell the R&D department. Yeah, better window material. Go. <laughs> see what they come up with. Because obviously windsurfing, like the whole thing is fairly clear. You can see through. Kite's not getting in the way. But in this yep. instance, yeah, it, it is. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I just get used to spot checking a ton. Bringing my wing up all the time. And I teach clients that the same thing. Like bring your wing down, bring it up, check, bring mm -hmm. it up, check. Just get used to that. Obviously, you're checking as you're turning around, but because um, you can get locked and loaded and look very similar to windsurfing, kind of blast along, and then mm -hmm. but you don't know what's going on. So I'm curious to see what they come up with, if, whether or not it's canopy that's a bit more translucent. I'm not sure, but um, I guess yeah, that's, that's what's coming down the pipe. With all mm -hmm. these, uh, like you know, Alula style stuff and all the you know fibers and membrane looking fibers that are coming out um that can totally be a solution having a wing that's just a little bit more translucent and you, you can't see super well through it maybe but at least you can see shapes and you can see if there's you know somebody riding downwind of you or something like that i think especially with a lot of wingers in the same area because we're so silent like you don't hear that board slapping you don't see sprayed it's so yeah. silent so you can really sneak up on people. And I, I kind of did this for fun on windsurfing friends because you can point so much higher than them. So I just kind of, you know, buzz them from behind. Um, but it would always freak them out because you just don't know somebody's coming. You're not used yeah. to it. We'll have to contact the, your Sensi Swimwear uh, design department. And we can we can talk about how we can get this implemented. <laughs> yeah, maybe everyone just needs to be wearing hot pink bikinis, and then we can see people. That would help, but we, <laughs> but if but if we don't have windows to see the hot pink bikinis, <laughs> then we still won't see them. <laughs> I don't know. I do. I do. Um, yeah, I am a little bit apprehensive about having so much traffic, and it's just going to increase. But how do you manage that? I mean, that's the, the question in surfing as well. We've seen a lot of places just get so busy and people dropping in on one another that the management of access is definitely an issue. 
Yeah, I think it starts with education, right? Like it's yeah. it's one of the places that has the worst problem with this. I think is Hawaii and Maui because mm. there's so many people on the water, so many different water sports constantly, and they just have a pecking order. And you know, you're informed of it when you get there. There's signs of it on the beach, and and it's made for a reason. You know, in my mind, if I'm winging and there's somebody windsurfing and they want to get a wave, well, it's their wave because I'm gonna get ten times as many waves as they are easily, mm. and I'm. And you know, to be fair, we're not even really riding the same waves, especially if the two riders are fairly high level. But nonetheless, you know, like I'm not gonna drop in on somebody prone surfing um, while I'm winking because yeah. that's just like no. obvious. Because I do all those sports, but for people getting into it, they just don't know. So yeah. that could be kind of interesting. What do you think coming in at it from kiting? Like, what's the pecking order for you for all the sports that you see on the water at Hood River? That's that's a great question. Well, I was just going to speak and I'm not exactly sure what the answer to that is because we don't have not everyone's riding the the wave as much as, you know, breaking wave would be. Um everyone's okay. trying to kind of get on the same thing. Yeah, I mean, we have at the hatchery one of the main spots where it's an old windsurfing spot now a ton of wingers go there. The windsurfers have a certain area that they like to be in, so I guess the pecking order for that would be okay, yeah, the windsurfers are there, they're established, they've been coming there for Fifty years or whatever. Yeah, that's their spot. Um, and the wingers can go a little bit lower. But I was gonna say, I think a lot of um, it is involved in education and actually teaching people right of way rules because totally. I've had a mm -hmm. lot of kite students that have no idea on right of way rules, and I really that's one of the things we pride ourselves on with start kite boarding my our kite camps and retreats is teaching proper beach management and right away and how to yield and how to turn around safely and just how to manage yourself when you're at a new spot or your home spot and to do so respectfully and in a way that keeps everyone safe because I'm sure you've experienced this. I mean, especially with kiting, not nearly as much with winging, but people just not even being able to get off the beach because they don't know how to launch the kite properly or what mm -hmm. you just, just like, whew. you're like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh. <laughs> Or just yeah, gear explosion everywhere and not just being, once again, courteous and respectful and treating others as you want to be treated. It takes time. Yeah. And, and I think it takes time with a lot of these sports. And I think we have to respect the fact that there is that learning curve. And I, I like to do things a little bit maybe slower, like have people learn on land, have mm -hmm. them take their time, have them connect. We had some other guests uh, with a, a, a rider from Peru. And he was more of a minimalistic kind of gear approach where he had one, one, one kind of thing, like one foil, one board, one wing. And he's like, master that thing, get used to it, like become its friend and then feel its little things. And then from there, you can kind of expand. But there is such a push, obviously, for new, new, new. But for somebody getting into this sport, like it doesn't have to be, I guess, as intense as it, it as it does. And it's a good segue to ask you, what gear did you learn on Ooh. Um, for our audience? Yes, I learned on, we had a mishmash of gear because we, it was kind of before, well, it was before we were on Slingshot, both Brandon and myself. And so we were learning on just random stuff. I can't even remember. Was it a ride engine board? It might've been a ride engine board. It was a hundred liter ride engine board. And I have no idea what the foil was. I can't even tell you. Okay. 
<laughs> it was a borrowed foil. <laughs> Everything was borrowed. <laughs> you know, we had one wing that we're sharing between three of us. I think it was a prototype wing that we had gotten from, I think that Liquid Force had made because it was right when we, it was when we were still on Liquid Force before they shut down. So at the beginning of 2020, when I learned okay. and, um, but no one really had that's, I mean, that and still, I think is the hardest thing, just having access to gear. You know, if you don't have a friend mm -hmm. that's doing it, you don't, to be honest, I don't recommend people buy a 150 liter board oh, it's better to awesome. rent one. Right. And just slowly progress down, but you do need to start really big and start on something that, um, is going to give you as many advantages as possible because winging is difficult. So I'm, I, yeah, I think I learned on a hundred, a hundred liter and then, um, got down to a 30 liter really quickly, probably before okay. I was ready. Okay. For our female riders, are we allowed to ask kind of weight? Like, oh, yeah. How much you weigh compared to oh, that? Yeah. 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 yeah I'm okay. 125 and I weigh, okay. and I'm 5'5. Five five. Okay. I don't Perfect. know. 125 yeah. pounds. I don't know what that is in kilos. It's like 60 ish. No, less than that. 55 ish. And 165 centimeters tall. So, so yeah, 56, 56. Yeah, I would say probably for someone my size, like a, a hundred liter, one twenty is a good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, also, right you, you, actually, I recommend brutal. just starting on a sub board. Sorry, Tom. What did you say? Uh, oh, I was just saying those early um, ride engine boards seem brutal to learn on because they're so thick and like super heavily beveled. You must have had such a hard time with that. Thing. Oh, I remember it was not easy at all. And then, like I said, we went. I went downsized really quickly. And I remember the first downwinder I did, I was on a 35 liter board, right engine board. And I, <laughs> we did a um, Viento to Hood River, which is an 11 mile downwinder. Wow. So this is later that summer. My first downwinder went with friends. There was big river swell. I did not know that you're not supposed to go straight down the wave and that you're supposed to actually go side. <laughs> no, 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 one no one told me. <laughs> you fall like five feet. <laughs> oh, so I would just go like as fast as possible oh, down the wave, it. completely explode at the bottom of the wave, yep. get back up yep. on this 35 liter board. I was so tired at the end of that downwinder. And then I was like, what am I doing wrong? It's ridiculous. And then, <laughs> and I learned I was doing it wrong. <laughs> Well, we all did that. Like, um, I was riding in, Vic totally. in Victoria, BC there last summer. And, and now I know, like I ride the shoulder, I kind of go on an angle but at the start, we would just go straight. And then yeah. I would like the foil would come out yeah. and be like, uh Oh, like I'm three feet up plus like three feet up. Like the whippers were way worse than anything yeah. else. The white pets were crazy. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> My neck was just like, Oh, foot strapped obviously on a 30 like you're riding foot straps on on that or were you just not no i didn't have foot straps on no whoa I? okay oh i can't remember luke i don't think i okay. did okay no fair enough because i wasn't even i wasn't jumping at that time okay so it was i, I mean so i made it way harder on myself sorry was that just the kite foil board that you were riding kiting? no it was a it was a ride engine um prototype wing wing board like they got oh, into cool. some prototypes pretty early and yeah. I was like, yeah, why would I not be on the smallest one? And, but mm -hmm. that's really before I kind of had known. And now I have a 32 liter flying fish that I love, but I also have a 50 liter wing craft that when it's light, 
I just want to be able to stand up quickly and easily. And so mm -hmm. if I haven't gone in a while or it's light, or even if the swell is really big and I'm a little nervous about conditions, like if it's super windy, I'll take the 50 liter. That way it's no problem to get up. I'm not going to get stuck. I don't see any reason why to make it harder on myself than I need to. I've spent tons of time bobbing in the water, not being able to get up <laughs> that I just like to be, make it easy. So, um, I ride the 32 liter primarily, but I have a 50 liter as well now. Yeah. And for people at home listening to this, take note that this is one of the windiest spots, uh, that you can imagine. Uh, and, sh and since he is riding a big board there fairly often, it sounds. Yeah. So. I just, I mean, thankfully I, I have a sponsor and so I'm able to have multiple boards. Uh, we were talking about simplicity, but you yeah. know, I think the message there is it, you don't have to go smaller if that's, you know, if your skill's not there, it is hard to get going winging, you know, you pumping that thing. That's like doing a bunch of burpees. So mm -hmm. I really believe in making it as easy as possible on yourself to maximize the fun. So if you're on, like, obviously that's a super windy spot. So your wind etiquette with regards to your gear has to be fairly dialed. So like if you fall in front of it and your board's light and your foil's light, like what's your leash, situa leash situation like? Because that thing I've seen boards just kind of take off and, and fly. So what are your maybe tips and tricks when you're in a high kind of swell, high wind area? Well, I definitely um, believe in having a leash and high swell. I've actually been yeah. riding without a board leash recently because I... Um, you can get to your board, you know, putting the wing in front of you and kind of holding it out. And if it get, goes far away from you, but if it's super swelly, definitely have a board leash. I haven't actually experienced where my board's flying a lot like that. Um, okay. I have a waist leash on my board. That's kind of my preferred method right now. And then I really like the coil or excuse me. I don't like the coil leash. I really like the rope leash because the coils sometimes, um, I think they can smack you in the face when you're pumping yeah, a lot yeah i actually yeah, like yeah, a long totally. enough if it's too short that's really annoying as well because then you can't flip over your wing so a long mm -hmm. enough rope leash i think the slingshot ones are really great and then um i've been playing around with having both items leashed to my waist harness so putting the wrist leash on my waist as well <laughs> to be honest i think the leash is is one of the the most annoying parts of winging. So I don't, mm -hmm. I haven't figured out my perfect formula yet. That doesn't cause me any annoyance. Brandon's been going no leash, which is uh, terrifying. For both? Yeah. He's been riding oh, with wow. no leash. Uh, yeah. <laughs> whoa. I don't okay. recommend that. <laughs> I yeah. just, for about 15 minutes, I was like, I have to put this back on. I can't. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the only viable reason that I've heard to do that is if you're in a really big swell, like mm. really, really big. And at yeah, that point, right, and breaking waves. Then totally. I would and like that, no leash yeah. either, right? Yeah, with a support boat, because otherwise you're just guaranteed to destroy the wing every single time you fall. But other than that, yeah, definitely, definitely wrist leash on, or waist leash, whatever, on the wing. And I have heard of people playing around without the board leash. I, I feel like if you ride, you just get used to it eventually. And it's just a part of life and we deal with it, you know? Yeah. And it's better to be able to get back to your board easily. Once again, like how can you make this easier on yourself? And if you're swimming for your board a lot, just use a board leash. Yeah. Totally agree with that. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> Excuse me. No, that's fair. Well, you did say that you had an, what is it? Six o'clock cutoff. So we're 15 minutes over. Um, 
is there anything that else that you'd like to talk to us about um especially for let's say our, our like our female audience is there anything that you would like to say to them if they're thinking about kind of and this can because our talk was not just about sport but it was about just you following that passion that spark and then letting that path kind of unravel in front of you as you went so is there anything closing thoughts i guess you'd like to leave with us well when speaking about the winging i i will say that i i do believe that almost anyone can wing and that if you are able to separate the components and start on a sup board with a wing to get the wing skills play around even in the parking lot with the wing and get the feel for it wing skate that's mm -hmm. a great way to get the introduction of the wing and then learn to foil separately um, I think when you're oh. trying to get both together, it can be really difficult. And so if you're able to learn to foil behind a boat or a jet ski, take advantage of that and try and get the motions and um, separate the two components before bringing them together, because it can feel really difficult, but otherwise keep going. You can totally do it. And I think that it's a great combination of challenging enough that you want to keep trying but you get enough rewards that you're like, okay, I can still do this. So it stretches you in a really positive way. And then as far as just following your path, I think the message I want to leave is just to not be so hard on yourself and to really reward yourself for just showing up and trying. And yeah, set the goal. I totally believe in goals and aiming for something amazing, but to have a low amount of attachment to that goal. And just to say, what's, what's the experience I can get from this? What's the journey? You're exactly where you need to be. And the more that you can embrace that, the more that you can actually enjoy life and share your unique gifts. No, I like that. Uh, yeah. I really like that too. The low attachment to the goal, I think is a really cool concept. Mm -hmm. It's more, it's the process. And it's not the destination. You have to, or else you end up going windsurfing in Ottawa, thinking you're better than you are, getting stuck a fish hook in your, because I was going by and I was like, man, I, I am fine, blasting by. And it's like, oh, crap, I'm just sliding downwind. And sure enough, this guy's fishing and the fish hook catches me in my wetsuit. It was like complete deflate, right? It was like, okay, never mind. I haven't done this in a while. But yeah, exactly. It, it is putting yourself in that space of enjoying what you're doing. And then um, the culture I found was, it, it's a phenomenal culture with friends and community. There's a curiosity that is there and thrives, which I find pretty exciting in, in that mm. kind of wind culture. Yeah, I agree. It's the best community. So for people at home who are wanting to get a hold of you, attend one of your events, what's the easiest way for them to reach out to you? Probably Instagram, Sensi Grace okay. on Instagram, S-E-N-S-I-G-R-A-V-E-S. Or my website, which is sensegravesswim.com or sensegraves.com. That's my speaking and kiting website. So either of those, you can find me on all of the all of the emails at sensegraves and at sensegraveswim. Okay, perfect. Well, I want to say thanks a lot for meeting with us tonight. It was great chatting with you. And um, we'll probably see you in Hood River in the water eventually. Ah, amazing. Come out. Hit me up. Thanks so much, you guys. Thanks for joining Tom and I on this episode. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.